Shalom and welcome to this week's lecture titled Having a Hearing Post. Okay, let's understand what having a hearing post is all about. So, as always, we start with a modern day issue, and this is today's modern day issue. What happens when we just aren't open to our faith, our spirituality, and our tangible and pal palatable relationship with God? What is there for us to give us a fighting chance and a door out of inner purgatory when we are experiencing a total crash and burn in our higher humanity and our godly image in which we are created. Yes, we are expected to crash and burn. As the verse states in Proverbs by King Solomon, for a righteous man can fall seven times and rise. And for a moment, we will not define a righteous man as a righteous person, an individual, but as the righteous spirituality within each and every one of us. What do we have in the darkness of the fall through which to, as King Solomon says, and rise? This lecture is based primarily on a mimer, a mystical discourse, the Rebbe Blessed Memory of Righteous Memory, delivered on this Shabbat in 1969, exploring the spiritual dimension of the mezuzah that we are commanded to place upon our doorpost and how this commandment manifests itself in placing an inner mezuzah in our inner doorpost. Okay, let's start with some introductions here. So, this week's Torah portion, we have the second portion of the Shema. As you know, the Shema is made up of three portions. The second portion comes from this week's Torah portion. Now, in this portion of Shema, we have the commandment, and I'll read to you the verse from this week's Torah portion. And you shall inscribe them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Now, the verse prior commands us about reading our Shema twice daily. And our verse is telling us to inscribe them, which means that we are to write, inscribe the Shema. And thus a mezuzah is the words of the Shema, the first two portions, handwritten in accordance to the exact laws of the shape and image of each of the 22 letters of the Hebrew language, with a quill and an ink, as the laws of the ingredients from which the ink must be made of, on a parchment made of the hide of an animal of a kosher species. And then this scroll needs to be rolled up from the end to the beginning and the letters are facing inwards, not outwards. And then we wrap it in a protective cellophane or wax paper, put it into a mezuzah case and affix it to the right side of the door, the right doorpost when facing into the room at the height of the bottom third of the top, the bottom of the th top third of the doorpost. 
Now, I want to just share, I told you to wrap it into cellophane or wax paper and put it in the mezuzah case. There are no laws about that. As a matter of fact, people have a custom. Chabad has a custom not to use any fancy mezuzah cases, but rather to use either no mezuzah case or a transparent blue side one or any type of a transparent one in order to stay focused on that the mezuzah is the scroll and not the case. Now, with this being said, right, I wanted to share with you the difference between Ashkenazim and some Sephardim. Now, there's an argument whether when we put it, when we affix it to the doorpost, if it should be vertical or horizontal. Ashkenazim will go vertical with a little slant inwards to also give credence to the opinion that says horizontal while some Svardim put it absolutely vertical and thus having a very definitive ruling in that argument of which way to put it, that it belongs vertical. That's how the mezuzah itself works, how it's written, how it's affixed. And I want to just put in parentheses, uh, really parentheses to the lecture, but extremely important. I cannot share with you how many times I've seen people buy a mezuzah case and in the mezuzah case, in order, you know, for the presentation, they simply have a piece of paper, printed mezuzah, rolled backwards with the letter sticking out. Please, when it comes to buying a mezuzah, buy it through a rabbi who has scribes that he knows, that he trusts, that he buys his own stuff from. Because there are so many laws and there are so many non-kosher mezuzahs flooding the market and putting up a non-kosher mezuzah, no matter how much money you spent on that beautiful mezuzah case, is worthless. It's not the mitzvah. With that being said, let's go back into the lecture. So the simple reason for the mezuzah, what's the reason? The verse says to do it, period. But Maimonides gives us an interesting insight, and I'm going to quote to you, the closing law he has on mezuzot, that's chapter 6, law 13, and it says as follows. Through its observance, whenever a person enters or leaves the house, he will encounter the unity of the name of the Holy One, blessed be he, and he will remember his love for him, capital H. Thus, he will awake from his sleep and his obsession with the vanities of time, and recognize that there is nothing which lasts for eternity except the knowledge of the creator of the world. This will motivate him to, to regain full awareness and follow the paths of the upright. And then he closes with saying as follows. Whoever wears tefillin on his head and arm, wears tzitzit on his garment, and has a mezuzah on his entrance, can be assured that he will not sin because he has many who will remind him. These are the angels who will prevent him from sinning. As the verse states from Psalms, the angel of God camps around those who fear him and protects them. Okay, so here is Maimonides' insight to the mezuzah. It's my primarily here to again and again remind us to be conscious of what's real, what's eternal, and what's important. Now, however, with this being said, our sages also teach us 
that the mezuzah is also a protection for the home and those who live in it. As is evident in the story of the famous righteous convert, Uncleus, I put a link in, and in the link of his biography, you'll see the story. He was the nephew of the Roman Emperor Titus, and an amazing story of on the way out, him kissing the mezuzah, the Roman soldiers saw it and asked him, and he says there, unlike your emperor is our king. Your emperor sits in the palace, and the soldiers sit outside and protect him. By us, we live in the house, and our God protects us, stands outside and protects us. Thus, he's clearly referring to the mezuzah as God protecting the Jewish home. As a matter of fact, the name of God, there's many different names for God. One of the names is S-H-A-D-A-I. And that is spelled in Hebrew, Shin Dalid Yud. That is the name that's written on the backside of the mezuzah. So that when you roll it, it's sticking out and it's facing out. And our sages tell us that that name has the acronym Shin Shomer Dalid Daltei Yud Yisrael, protector of the homes of Israel, of the children of Israel. So based on this, you may have heard that the Rebbe of Righteous Memory very, very often has given the answer when someone said, wrote into the Rebbe asking for a blessing, they're going through a negative situation, the Rebbe would say, check your mezuzahs. And the simple reason here is because the mezuzahs are meant to protect the home and all its inhabitants from any negative experience. Thus, if there's a negative experience, it must be that there's something wrong with the mezuzah, the guard at the door. And that's where many times we have heard this answer, and it's important to check your mezuzahs to make sure they're kosher, especially if you're living in a place like I am, Florida, with the sometimes very difficult weather, whether it be the moisture, the salt water, or it be the heat, um, it's amazing. I just share with you a personal experience. I once went all out and bought a really expensive super kosher mezuzah for the front door thinking that because it was big letters with a lot of ink it'll last better and when I went to check it I was horrified to see that being that it was on the front door without a roof kind of protecting it the sun literally baked a hole through the letters through the parchment, making it non-kosher. So yes, we need to be careful with that. Now, in this lecture, we will be exploring the deeper spiritual dimension and primarily how the mitzvah of mezuzah applies within our inner dimension serving God. Now, just to understand this, in the teachings of Kabbalah and Hasidus, every mitzvah has its physical manifestation and its spiritual manifestation. The physical manifestation is primary. You have to literally have a piece of parchment with the Shaman Vahoyim Shmoya written on it, and then it should be kosher, and it should be affixed to your wall, at the doorpost of your wall, the right side and the right place and the right angle and everything. However, every mitzvah also has a spiritual dimension. And entering into a house is the spiritual dimension of the Jew being born, the soul entering into the body. 
and there there has to be the writing and affixing of a mezuzah. What does that mean? That's what we're going to discuss here, okay? Also, I wanted to share with you that this commandment of writing a mezuzah was also written last week, in last week's Torah portion, in which we had the first portion of Shema. However, as we will go on, just as a footnote, because we're going to talk about the dimension of the mezuzah being the dimension of hearing, we'll talk at great length about that, um, but because last week's Torah portion is all about Moses asking to see, to be able to imbue us with seeing God, and this week's Torah portion begins, you will hear, thus, the teaching and the primary explanation of the spiritual dimension of mezuzah is extrapolated from this week's Torah portion, hearing, and not from last week's Torah portion, seeing, because that's what this lecture is going to primarily focus on, as you will see. Okay, and saying that, let's go into the second introduction, which is seeing versus hearing. So seeing and hearing are two senses of the body. However, they also exist on a spiritual level in the soul. And thus we want to talk about what is the dimension of seeing and hearing according to Kabbalah and Hasidus as they are represented in the faculties of the soul. Now, seeing and hearing, the actual light waves and the actual sound waves are really just tools to which to bring in knowledge, experience into the human mind. And thus, they both really talk about the different levels of intellects more than the tools through which to be able to receive and decode sight, um, sight waves and, and uh, sound waves, light waves and, and sound waves. Now, what that means to us. In Kabbalah and Hasidus, we talk about the intellect of wisdom being that of seeing and the intellect of hearing, be, I'm sorry, and the sense of hearing being the intellect of understanding. And we need to understand what is the difference between these two. And what we're going to see is that they are the difference in how we connect to the divine. We understand God, the wisdom connection to God. And how do we connect with that? And thus, we're going to see that last week when Moses asked God, please allow me to cross over and see the land of Israel. In Kabbalah, Moses' request of seeing the land of Israel. And, and also even explained by Maimonides, this concept, that the seeing Moses wanted to imbue within the Jewish people the intensity and the internalization and the certainty in their connection with God as that of which you see. And nevertheless, God actually tells Moses no to his prayer, and thus Moses isn't able to fully connect the Jews with an internalized seeing of the divinity and the relationship with God. And in this week's Torah portion, he begins with the concept of hearing, wanting to imbue the level of faith and connection to God as hearing what God is all about. Now, we will explain later the difference between these two levels, 
But as an introduction, I did want to share with you that there is these two concepts. Now, the next thing I want to share with you as an introduction is the meaning of the word mezuzah. Now, the word mezuzah, we refer to it as the actual piece of parchment, the mezuzah. I need, Rabbi, I need you to put up some mezuzot, plural for mezuzah. However, you should know that the definition of the word mezuzah has nothing what to do with the parchment. The word mezuzah simply means the doorpost. And every door has two mezuzot, the right doorpost and the left doorpost. The reason why we call the mezuzah, the scroll, a mezuzah, is because the commandment is to affix it to the doorpost. So now that we know that the actual word mezuzah refers to the doorpost, we're going to take a look in the Torah to find what is the Torah definition of, at least on a, on a deeper level, what is the mezuzah all about? And to understand that, we're going to turn to the laws of a Jew who wants to be a slave to another Jew. There are laws of slaves, the Jewish slave, a Jewish slave can either sell himself into slavery because he just finds that he can't, uh, he can't provide for himself or him and his family. And then there's the slave that gets sold into slavery uh, because he's a thief and he can't pay off his th theft and thus he has to work it off. And, uh, and all these laws about how in the sabbatical year you must allow the slave to go free. And then it says, and if the slave says, and I'm going to quote to you the, the, the verse, but if the slave says, I love my master, my wife, meaning the Gentile maid given to him by his master, and my children that he has from this maid, I will not go free. Then what happens? His master shall bring him to the judges, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear with an all, an all, and he shall serve him forever. Basically, against the doorpost, the slave, the Jew who wants to be a slave, has to have his ear pierced. Now, our sages in the Talmud search, what's the connection? Wanting to be a slave. What does that have to do with the, the doorpost? What does that have to do with the ear? So I'm going to quote to you two pieces of the Talmud from Tractate Kedushin that talks about this issue. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai would expound. And what would he expound? Why is the, deer, the ear different from all other limbs in the body that the ear alone is pierced? And he answers, The Holy One, blessed be he, said, This ear heard my voice on Mount Sinai when I said, For to me the children of Israel are slaves which indicate they should not be slaves to slaves, any other Jew. And yet this man went and willingly acquired a master for himself. Therefore, let this ear be pierced. Now we understand why the ear. And let's go to the next piece. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Rebbe, the famous Yehuda Anasi, would likewise expound, why are the door and a doorpost different from all other objects in the house that the piercing is performed with them? And he answers, The Holy One, blessed be he, said, The door and the doorpost were witnesses in Egypt when I passed over the lintel and when I passed over the two doorposts of houses in which there were Jews. 
And I said, for to me, the children of Israel are slaves and they should not be slaves to slaves. And I delivered them at that time from slavery to freedom. And yet this man went and acquired a master for himself. Therefore, let him be pierced before them, the doorpost, as they are witnesses that he violated God's will. Now, as a footnote, what's it talking about? It's talking about in the 10th plague, when God told the Jewish people to take from the blood of the Paschal lamb, this the lamb sacrifice that they brought, and to put it on the doorpost. And God said that in the 10th plague, when the angel of death, and then when God will go ahead and, and smite the firstborns of the Egyptians, when he sees the blood on the doorpost, he will know that this is the home of Jews and not to kill the firstborns. Thus, the doorposts, again, are the signs, the testimony that we were freed from being slaves. And at Mount Sinai, when God told us, I am God, your God, you are slaves unto me and don't be slaves unto any other slaves. So now what do we hear from here? That Kabbalah and Hasidus extrapolates from here two mystical meanings concerning the personal spiritual service of the mezuzah, the doorpost, which is, one, it is the service of hearing, and two, specifically the hearing of, for to me, says God, the children of Israel are slaves. And that's what this hearing is specifically about. We'll talk about this. Last introduction is about the words ko, which in Hebrew means so, and the word ze, which means this. So, in order for this lecture to flow smoothly, let's talk about the difference between the prophecy of Moses versus the prophecy of all other prophets. Our sages tell us in the Sifri and Rashi, <clears throat> on, the, on the, the book of Numbers, it says over there as follows, and I quote, Rashi, Moses prophesied with so, ko, says God, but Moses surpassed them for the prophet, for he prophesied with the expression, this, ze, is the thing, ze, hadavar. So that's a commentary on a verse where Moses says those words, this is the word of God. Now, what is the difference between the word so, in Hebrew, ko, and the word this, ze. So the word ze is connected with seeing. As our sages explain upon the verse in the song of the sea, when the Jews said, sang praise, and they said, this is my God, and I will glorify him. Ze keli vi'anvehu. And what do the sages say? They wonder why the word ze, this. And it says, everyone showed with his finger and they pointed and they said, this is my God. So the word this applies to that which you can see and point to. While the word ko'omar, so said God, that refers to something that is distance. And thus a prophecy dimension of only hearing. So ze, Moses' prophecy is seeing, ko'omar which is the only type of prophecy that any other prophet has, means so said, hearing, distant. And now let us begin the lecture. Okay, as you know, I always start with the topics that we're going to explain. 
the mystical topics. There's three of them today, and then we'll go ahead and get back to the modern-day practical issue from all of this. A, three levels of hearing. B, there is no comparison of hearing to seeing. C, mezuzah, bringing hearing into seeing. Okay, let's go ahead and understand this. Let the amazement of Hasidus begin. So it's important to begin with understanding that hearing on its spiritual dimension is a multifaceted dynamic. What does that mean? And in order to understand this, so we find, I didn't quote all the verses not to go ahead and then get uh, you know too long with this lecture, but we find different verses in which they use the word for hearing as in thought, as in speech, and as in action. Now, Kabbalah and Hasidis go on to explain that in essence, when we in our verse are talking about hearing, we are actually talking about thought. And not only that, but within thought, to have itself, there is thought of thought, speech of thought, and action of thought. So I want to again explain. Why are we saying that hearing means thought? Because the ear, the eardrum, the sound waves are only tools. When we talk about hearing from a human perspective, we're talking about perceiving. We're talking about the thought process. That's what hearing is really all about. Now, we're saying that within thought itself, there is thought of thought, speech of thought, and action of thought. That means that this commandment of hearing is multifaceted. And I want to just briefly explain the difference between the three. Thought of thought is actually thinking of the intellectual concept itself stripped of any words. What does that mean? That means that the words that we use in our thought process actually gives a definitive description of the intellectual concept. However, in the purest sense, the intellectual concept is void, shed of words, and ultimately could be expressed in a total myriad of, of choices of words. And thus you'll find two people explaining the same intellectual concept differently. And by them explaining it differently, they're each giving it a different dynamic, which is already a finite definitive form. On the level of thought of thought, we avoid capturing, limiting, clothing, defining any specific approach and understanding of the intellectual concept. We want to see the intellectual concept itself. That's what we want to think about before we get stuck in words of thought. Speech of thought is when we're already having this concept of words, the words of the teaching, the words of the intellectual concept. And in this level, we're already giving a definitive approach to this intellectual concept. And then, by the way, do not, do not confuse the speech of thought with the thought of speech. 
thought of speech is when you're thinking of how to explain something. You're preparing a speech. That's thought of speech. We're talking about speech of thought, where we're now having words through which we perceive in a specific fashion the intellectual concept of thought. And then there's action of thought, which is really interesting. Um, one of the teachings I saw, and I quote to you from where I saw it, is that the action of thought is, you know what, let me, let me read to you exactly what it says. It's really interesting. And this is from a teaching of the previous Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak of Lubavitch. And then he arranges them, the words in his mind, that means after you went through thought of thought and speech of thought, now you arrange them in the style of things that are appropriate for this intellectual concept. And he is focused on the precise language of the concept in its precisely intended letters and wording. And this is action of thought, which is the contemplation in orderly words. So now there are times where the words become so, so you're so conscious of them that you're not just thinking about the intellectual concept, but you want to be what we call in, in Hebrew and Yiddish, medayek. You want to be precise about the words through which the sage said it. This is called the action of thought because now you're really completely focused on the three-dimensional letters and words of the teaching rather than the intellectual concept of the teaching. So you have here the three different levels of hearing, which we defined as thought, and we're defining it that within, the three, within thought itself there is all three, and we're talking about that primarily the thought of thought. Now let's understand how the verse, the depth of what the verse is saying to us. Let's read the opening verse of our Torah portion. Okay? It says as follows. And it will be because you will hear, listen to, hearken, thought. These ordinances and heed, our sages tell us that over here means, heed means to study the laws of of what you have to do and to do it verbally, speech, them and perform them, perform them to do action. Thus in the verse we have the hearing is thought, the heeding is study, speech, and the perform is the action. And now we're saying know that within hearing itself we're talking about the highest level of hearing which is thought of thought. Now, you may ask yourself, why am I going through this technical stuff? It's because it's important to know that when we talk about the mezuzah, which we already connected to hearing God say, we're talking about the highest dimension of hearing, which is thought of thought. And concerning what? Concerning the opening of the Ten Commandments, I am God, your God, which leads to you are my slave, and don't be anyone else's slave. That is the definition of the mezuzah, as we will now understand, which is the highest level of hearing. Okay, now let's go further. There is no comparison of hearing to seeing. There is no comparison. Really, hearing is so much greater. So much greater. Now, 
our sages, I take you to the Talmud in Tractic Rosh Hashanah, where it's talking about an interesting case of people walking and they saw the moon. And in the olden days, they set the calendar by witnesses coming to the courthouse and testifying that they saw the moon. The, uh, they say that the courthouse, the judges question them. And if they find it to be true, they proclaim Rosh Chodesh. And here it's talking about a group of sages. So of them, there's the all of them saw. But now the question is, being that they all saw, so that in the categories of witnesses, can some of them become judges? And the other ones will testify to them as judges because they're all sages. They're all capable of being judges. So there's a ruling, and I quote to you, a witness cannot become a judge. He who witnessed the event cannot later become a judge on the case of this event. And... The Talmud starts questioning and explaining, and it says as follows, that Rabbi Akiva, one of the sages, says that this only applies in a murder case, not in a case of where you have to, um, you know, sanctify the, the moon into becoming Rosh Chodesh. That's not. And why? And he gives a logical reason. And he says, in a murder case, there's a specific verse that says, and I quote, for the merciful one says in the book of Numbers, and the congregation shall judge, which means search for grounds to find them guilty. And then the verse goes on and says, and the congregation shall save, which requires the court to search for grounds to exonerate the defendant. And therefore you must be able to do both, to judge and to save. Now goes on the Talmud to say, but once they themselves have seen him kill a person, they are witnesses, they will be unable to find grounds to exonerate him. And thus what we see from here is that when someone sees something, it is so intense, it is so certain, and is so deeply internalized, that you cannot be able to, you won't, you won't be able to separate yourself, distance yourself, so that you can question what you saw in order to come up with reasons to save the defendant. Now, this same judge is going to hear testimony from honest, reputable witnesses. And nevertheless, the fact that he hears the horrific details of the event, it doesn't so intensely internalize itself to him that he won't be able to question, doubt, and distance himself from the events. Thus, we see the difference between hearing and seeing. Thus, our sages say that there's no comparison from the lower level of hearing to the higher level of seeing. Okay, so seeing is greater than hearing. However, we already said that mezuzah is all about hearing. Why? Why not? Why shouldn't we do something about seeing? So now we need to understand that nevertheless, there is an incomparable virtue to hearing over seeing. And what is that? In order to understand this, I want to share with you again about the prophecy of Moses. So, 
Moses had an additional power from of prophecy over the other sages. And what is that? That Moses was that of seeing Zeh. As God himself testified upon Moses in the book of Numbers, with him I speak mouth to mouth in a vision and not in riddles. And he beholds the image of God. Moses' level of prophecy is Zeh, this, seeing. However, all the other prophets were only able to have the virtue of, of hearing. He's only able to have the power of the hearing prophecy. Now, let's understand this. If so, how can hearing be greater than seeing? So, we're taught in Exodus that Moses asked God, Show me now your glory. Show me. Moses wants to see. To which God answered, You will not be able to see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And then God goes on to say, And you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. In other words, the face of God is above and beyond even Moses' capacity to see, to connect with and to internalize with clarity and certainty of seeing. Meaning that Moses' power of seeing, the prophecy of Zeh, this, was only until the dimension of my back. While any prophecy above that face, even Moses would have to prophesize only with ko, so said, hearing. Now, interesting enough, and thus we find that the great Kabbalist of Isaac Luria, the Arizal, gives teachings elucidating levels far higher than the my back. How can it be? How can Mo, how could the Arizal have taught such concepts which it says even Moses could not see? N needless to say that the Arizal, I mean, Moses' level of prophecy was, was infinitely superior. So how could it be that Arizal is talking about things that we just said that God told Moses that even he can't see? And the answer is very interesting. And this is explained by a teaching of our sages that says, in, in, in Baba Basra, the Talmud says, Chacham Adif Minavi. The sage, literally the wise one, is better off than the prophet. Why? Because while the prophets, the power of vision, seeing, are limited as to what they can see, nevertheless, the power of the sage, the power of, of hearing, of understanding, can grasp, here that which the prophet cannot see. Thus, it's true. Moses couldn't see higher than my back. However, through hearing, precisely because it isn't with vision, internalized, grabbing it, Thus, we can hear what we can't see. And by the way, so too it is, I mean, practically and physically, if someone's standing on the other side of a partition, I can't see him, but I can hear him. 
pay the hearing power can 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 connect and grasp to that which is beyond the reach of the seeing now however we still have the problem yes hearing can connect us to things that we can't see levels of divinity with of hashem which we cannot see but it doesn't change the fact that the way it grasps it is in with an uncertainty a distance so we still don't have the real tangibility oneness intensity internal internalization of seeing thus we're left with only seeing lower levels those who can and then we have the power of hearing understanding from a distance even higher levels but ultimately what we would like to do is be able to see that which we can only hear and now let's explore the mystical deep insights of mezuzah so i'm going to share with just some very interesting kabbalistic stuff okay you recall i mentioned earlier that there is the highest level of hearing which not only grabs that which is higher than the capacity of seeing but also amazingly enough brings this higher than seeing into internalization remember we spoke about that the specific hearing of that we are god's slaves god says that the children of israel are my slaves anochi i am god your god and don't have any other slaves don't be slaves to slaves let's understand what this means the way it manifests itself in the mezuzah so here is some interesting details about the mezuzah number one the word mezuzah if you take away the the mem the meh you're left with two hebrew words zu ze zu and ze both mean this only that zu is feminine and ze is masculine we already spoke about the ze the masculine as god as the jews said at the at the sea ze keli ve'anveyu this is my god and the ze the i'm sorry the zoo represents the feminine represents god's wife as we're taught that under the the uh, mount sinai god held it upon us as a chuppah and created a marriage ceremony in which God is the husband, the, the, the Zeh, and we, the children of Israel, are the wife. We are the zoo. And what is the concept of mezuzah? To bring together the consummation, the marriage, the oneness between the zoo and the Zeh, the wife and the husband, the children of Israel and God and this is the practical explanation in Hasidus why the mezuzah turns into a protection of the home of the people living in the home and of all the possessions in the home because the service of the mezuzah is to simply make sure that there is the unity the transparency the humility the self-negation the obedience of us to God and that our home and our possessions are all transparent that they exist to fulfill the will of God 
and to serve God. As the closing in, in Pirkei Avos says that God created everything only for the service of his glory. Thus, when I can have the testimony that I, my home, my family, my possessions are all in a zuze oneness, automatically everything is protected by God. So that is one concept that's brought to understand about the mezuzah, which is the zu and ze, the marriage, the oneness, the complete transparency of the children of Israel to God. Now I want to share with you another interesting concept about this mezuzah. On the one hand, I just told you there's the word ze. I already explained previously that the word ze refers to the power of pointing with your finger to something that you see and say this. So ze is the power of vision, seeing. On the other hand, if you do your Hebrew numerology, you'll see that the words zu and ze, seven, six, seven, five, equals 25. The, the letters 25, chaf, hey, spells the word ko, as in ko omar, so said, which was the lower prophecy level of hearing. So something interesting is going on here. The mezuzah has the dimension of seeing. The mezuzah has the dimension of hearing. And it's all about uniting them, which ultimately means to bring about that which only hearing can grasp into an internalization, intensity, connection, bond, and, and vision of seeing. Now, how do we do this? So, here is how it goes. We spoke earlier, again, I mentioned, as I just mentioned a moment ago, that there is one level of hearing which is the hearing precisely connected with slavery, precisely the hearing of God telling us that he accepts us to be his slave, ultimate obedience. That hearing is connected to a level which can bring hearing into seeing, even though it in itself is beyond the human finite capacity to internalize, However, because it's a hearing of obedience, obedience hearing, ultimate, we're soon going to explain that, thus we can bring the hearing into seeing. How does that work? And for that to understand, we need to understand what does it mean when a Jew connects himself as a servant, as a slave? You know, wow, high holidays are around the corner, my friends. And High Holidays has to do with Avinu Malkeinu, right? We have this song, Avinu Malkeinu. Avinu means my father, our father. Malkeinu means our king. Now we go on to say, Im Kavonim, if we are like children to a father, or Im Kavodim, or if we are as slaves to a king. Now, what is the difference between those two dimensions? Seemingly, we would all love the Avinu. I, I want to be God's son. I want to be God's daughter. I want to have a father-child relationship. Intimate, beautiful. So why do we talk about king-servant? 
And the answer is because in being a son, I am I. I have my perception of things. I have my finite capacity. I have my personality paradigm. <laughs> I'm a father, I can tell you. Uh, children aren't always on, on line with their father. They got their own ways of seeing things. And then you always have to understand that as much as I would like my kids to understand everything I understand, the bottom line is I am 53 years of life experience and the oldest of my children is only 26 years and they're not going to be able to understand what I understand. You know, sometimes there's a certain thing that only experience itself can tell you, even if my children have a greater IQ than I do or not. So in the power of the son, S-O-N, in the power of being children of God, where I am I and I love my father and my father loves me. However, there is the finite capacity of what I could see, and beyond that, I can only hear. What happens when I become a servant of God, a slave of God? The definition of a slave is that the slave no more has an identity of a human, but becomes the property of his master. So much so that according to the law, the minute a slave picks something up, he found something in the street, he picked it up, his hand is the hand of his master. It's not him that acquired it, but his master acquired it because he has no hand of his own. Now let's, let's follow through this. That means that when I become a servant of God, well, I'm willing to let go of only that which I can intellectually or emotionally appreciate, but I'm willing to go into the total transparency, humility, self-negation, obedience to God. Thus, I'm becoming property of God. Thus, I'm now no more stuck in the human finite capacity of what I can see and what I can only hear. But rather, now I'm connecting with the infinity of God to which hearing and seeing coexist. And thus, from God's perspective, being that seeing and hearing are two equal tools through which to perceive and connect to God. And from God's perspective, from the infinite perspective, the sight is not stuck in one category, the hearing is not stuck in another category. Thus, by having obedience, letting go, surrendering from my finite capacities, I can take it a step further, and that which I was only able to hear, I can open myself up to see, to feel it, it with certainty with certainty of vision in my heart. I want to take this a step further. This sentence that God said at Mount Sinai, for the children of Israel are my slaves, are connected to the first words of the Ten Commandments, I am God your God. Now when it says the word Anochi, I, we're talking about the essence I, which doesn't even have a name. Thus, when we spoke before about becoming the property of, we are becoming the property of the essence of God. Thus, the ultimate hearing, the obedience hearing 
of being God's slave is the connection of becoming totally transparent, one, and property of the essence I of God. Now, from the essence I of God, there is absolutely no barriers between what one can hear and one can see and one can see and one can hear. Thus, we can have the deepest levels of face of God, the Anochi, be internalized, digested, and felt with a certainty. Now, this is what the mezuzah is all about. Connecting the Zu Ze 25 Ko So with the Ze This, bringing the higher realms of which we could only hear into the tangible certainty and reality and oneness of seeing. Now, this is what the mezuzah is all about the ultimate obedience hearing. Now that we understand the deepest levels of what the mezuzah stands for, bringing together the zoo and the zen, the ko, the face of God, hearing, seeing, internalizing, bonding, oneness of total obedience. Now let's close it up with going back to our original modern day issue. So we can return to our opening modern day issue. Yes, there are times that it is very dark. And our openness to seeing and feeling and inter any internalized spirituality, oneness to God, faith, religion is closed to us. And especially so in these darkest times of exile and confusion. However, it is precisely in these times that we turn to our obedience hearing of faith, study, prayer, and mitzvah performance, which in turn opens for us the ultimate oneness with God, the essence I, allowing us to see, truly internalize, and feel that which even Moses during his lifetime could not see. And thus, our sages tell us upon the verse in Numbers, it says, Now this man Moses was exceedingly humble, more so than any person on the face of the earth. And we are taught that Moses' humility was primarily towards the self-sacrifice, obedience, of the generation of the heels of Mashiach, which means the final generation to usher in Mashiach, namely us. Precisely of the darkness that's all around us and within us, shutting out any seeing, turning us to obedient hearing, self-sacrifice. Of this, we are taught that when Moses saw our generation, he fell upon his face, prostrated himself in utter humility. So yes, dark times are painful times. But dark times are painful because they deny us certain relationships, certain feelings. However, precisely because of that, we continue on with obedience. That will lead us to the greatest seeing we've ever had. May it be so with Mashiach's coming now. Shabbat Shalom.